0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly As I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to drlorybethbisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hello and welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, a sex and intimacy coach, an accredited advanced gender, sex and relationship diversity therapist. And I've spent... Over the last 30 years, helping people to create and maintain authentic, exciting relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. This week, the letter is P. And for a change this week, I'm doing a roundup of topics in the news. So we're going to talk about all sorts of different peas, um, we will start with pox. So P is for pox, and as many of you know, pox in the news right now is monkey pox. Um, and a lot of people have been talking about this as, as, as a sexually transmitted disease, Um, and one that is primarily um, seen on the rise in gay men. But actually, this is not a sexually transmitted disease. It's a disease that's transmitted by skin-to-skin contact. So um, it can be transmitted by a hug if you have skin-to-skin contact. It is transmitted by contact with the rash. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, has now called this a global health emergency. Um, And so it it is important to know something about the virus because it's spreading relatively quickly. Um, They're calling it an emergency of international concern. But for most people, you might never have heard of it prior to this outbreak. At the moment, it's been discovered in more than 70 countries. And 68 of the 70 countries are ones that have never really had cases of monkeypox. In the United United States, there are cases in all but six states. The only states that don't have monkeypox cases at the moment are Alaska, Maine, Mississippi, Montana, Vermont, and Wyoming. I'm always um, interested when I read that um, the scientific community has been concerned about something for many years, and yet the public really hasn't heard a lot about it. And um, unfortunately, this is another one of those situations where the scientific community has been saying things about this and about the potential dangers, but um, it hasn't really been making it to the public. It hasn't been making it to... um, our regular news feed, um, and it hasn't been, information hasn't been being given out where we get our sexual health information. So let's start out with um, a bit about what monkeypox is. Um, A lot of times people think that monkeypox and chickenpox are similar, but actually monkeypox is most similar to smallpox, um and smallpox was actually eradicated globally in 1980 and that was through the use of vaccines now depending on how old you are you may or may not have a vaccine mark if you were born after um, global eradication you probably don't have the little vaccine mark on your arm because they weren't vaccinated vaccinating against it once it had been globally eradicated I am older, <laughs> therefore, I had a smallpox vaccine. Um, both viruses comes from, come from the family of orthopox viruses. Monkeypox is far less transmissible and it's also far less fatal than smallpox but the concerns are of course that the virus will mutate and if it does mutate it could become an even greater threat to people it could become an epidemic in an unvaccinated population so there are concerns um in part because smallpox was eradicated that this actually leaves a vacuum for the virus to film um And it has become, over the years, more successful at transmitting between people. Before this outbreak, almost all the cases found outside of Africa, where rodents and non-human primates can carry the virus, were tied to international travel or imported animals. And... As you might expect, the reason it's called monkeypox is because it was first seen in colonies of monkeys in 1958, and those were colonies of monkeys used for research. But what we should clarify here, which I found interesting and also sad, is it isn't at all clear that this is something that originated from the animals. But it may well have um, originated... Um, In another way, they don't know what the source of the disease is. Um, And since these were research animals, you know, there there was experimentation going on at the time. In the past, the only U.S. outbreak had been in 2003, and there were about 47 cases. And the outbreak was actually tied to pet prairie dogs. Um, And they came into contact with some infected rodents and rats, although it wasn't really clear how that happened, and then spread it to people. So let's talk a bit about the signs and symptoms. Um, you, as you might expect, they're similar to those of smallpox. They include fever, headaches, a lack of energy, and muscle rake muscle aches. Sorry, muscle rakes. muscle aches. Um, but the thing that people um, recognize most often is the rash which isn't always present by the way Um, and the rash can resemble pimples or liquid filled blisters it can develop all over the body and that includes the face feet hands genitals and inside the mouths doctors are seeing a much more subtle rash in some patients some people have only developed a single lesion And um, they have mistaken this for herpes, uh, which it was not. So it's really important to understand that it doesn't necessarily look like a classic rash in various, lots of places of the body. Um, And it's important to understand that because people can still be infectious, so if, if it's not caught because there's only one lesion, then that means, or there's no lesions, then that means that these people um, could be out in the population spreading the disease. The rash will last two to, two to four weeks usually. Some people get the rash before they get other symptoms. Other people get the rash only. So how dead dangerous is this? Okay, well, the good news is that this type, which is the West African type, isn't particularly deadly. 99% or more of population is expected to survive. So if you catch this, the chances of you surviving are incredibly good. However, that doesn't mean it's not potentially fatal. It could be potentially fatal in the typical people, people with compromised immune systems, people who are pregnant or breastfeeding, and children under the age of eight. So again, um, if you are somebody who's immunocompromised, it's important to be paying attention. The most common outcome after an infection is scoring from the rash. But some of the more serious complications are um, bronchopneumonia, Um, eye infections, and corneal scarring. Next most important thing to know is how does the virus spread? It's human-to-human contact, as I said. You could develop an infection from... um, respiratory particles, droplet respiratory particles, by spending too much time face to face with a monkeypox carrier. But that is far less likely. It is more likely um, spreading through physical contact, the exchange of some bodily fluids like saliva, um, skin to skin contact, and touching items and surfaces shared with somebody who's exhibiting symptoms. So it does live outside the body for a period of time. Best way to protect yourself? Be careful about going into situations where you can't maintain personal space. Where you are likely to bump into other people, And, um, you might be wearing less clothing to know that sounds really funny. Um, but yes, you know, clothing in and of itself could be problematic, but it's obviously it's skin to skin is, it's easier to transmit. So things like if you're going to clubs and, um, where you're not having to wear clothing, um, if you're at raves, um, and you're in close quarters, that's a place where you are more likely to be exposed. Obviously, if you are kissing and cuddling on somebody, more likely to be exposed. And again, if you're having sex with somebody, more likely to be exposed. Um, but that remember that that isn't the only way. This is not basically a sexually transmitted disease. It is transmitted through contact with The sheddings of the virus and that skin to skin contact, or also again on some items and surfaces that the other person has already shed the virus onto. So things like bedding, clothing, towels should be tied up in a bag before you can before you can do laundry. You need to make sure that you're keeping them separate and away from anything. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water, just like we're being advised for COVID. Um, and dispose of all the cleaning materials when you're done. Be clear about what the virus looks like in your area. So in America, you can check the Center for Diseases Control map um, and look at that because it's tracking it state to state. This is... Um, um, a little bit more difficult to track in the United Kingdom. Um, But if you are aware, for example, that London is a place where there are infections, if you're aware of this, tread cautiously. And remember, I've talked about this a lot recently um, and throughout the time that I've, I've had this show. Risk assessment is your job. Nobody expects you to take no risk. All of life involves taking risk. But it's up to you to risk assess, to decide what is a risk that you are willing to take and what is one that you're not. And you have to remember that even when you risk assess well, sometimes things happen that we didn't predict or didn't expect. And sometimes, you know, even if I risk, risk assess, I'll, I'll use the car analogy again, you know, most, uh, many of us drive, and um, so we get into a lethal weapon every single day, um, every time we drive, and we risk assess most of the time that we will be able to drive in a safe manner and get from A to B, and that other people will be able to do that as well. But as we know, even when we do the best that we possibly can do, sometimes other people will be the cause of accidents. And so we've risk assessed that it's a risk we're willing to take, but we can still end up on the negative consequence side of the risk, even through the fault of somebody else and not through our own fault. Of course, sometimes through our own fault as well. So it's really important to remember. Um, Pregnant people who find out they're carriers are advised to have C-sections so that they're less likely to transmit the virus to their newborns. Um, There have been reports of pregnancy loss, stillbirth, and preterm deliveries as a result of someone catching monkeypox. So, what should you do if you've got symptoms? Well, this advice will go for even if you don't have symptoms, but you think you've come into contact with someone who's a carrier. The first thing you need to do is isolate. Again, just like COVID, you need to isolate to prevent the spread of the virus. This is the part of the game where we are taking care of other people. If you believe that you've been exposed, you need to isolate so you don't expose anyone else. That shows good adulting and empathy. Um, and then you need to reach out to a healthcare provider Um and talk to them so you can find out whether or not you should be tested. Getting tests in the US at the moment is quite difficult because the outbreak is far bigger than they thought. Um, and so um, that's a problem. And the World Health Organization is actually advising people to isolate for three weeks from the time they believe they may have been exposed. And to limit contact with other people while awaiting test results. Think about that for a second. Three weeks isolation. For most people, the symptoms will clear up on their own within two to four weeks without the need for treatment. Um if you are in one of the categories mentioned earlier, that is at more risk for complications as a result. So if you're immunocompromised, if you're pregnant, if you've, if symptoms are being shown or exposure has been to a child under eight, do please make sure that you are in regular touch with your doctor because treatment may be necessary. Um, If you've got the uh, telltale rash Avoid scratching your skin. Try and keep your skin dry and uncovered. Clean with sterilized water or antiseptics. Um, One of the things um, that you can do to to try and relieve some of the pain and itching is to take a warm bath with baking soda or Epsom salts. Um, If you've got lesions in your mouth, use a salt water rinse like you would for canker sores um, and herpes simplex 1. Um, if you are in a shared household, isolate in your room, use a designated bathroom, use separated eating utensils, towels, electronics, and do your own laundry. Open your windows whenever possible for good ventilation, but avoid sweeping and vaccinate, uh, sorry, and vacuuming because that could disturb virus product particles on the floor and lead to further infection. Um, at the moment... There are smallpox, smallpox vaccines that are being used to fight monkeypox um, because it is believed that they could be up to 85% effective against monkeypox as well. Um, so if you haven't had a smallpox vaccine within three years, um, you should get one sooner rather than later. If you believe you've been exposed to monkeypox, of course, Um, Most of us um, have not had a smallpox vaccine within three years. So um, that is important. Um, If you have been exposed, you should be getting inoculated within four days of exposure and no later than two weeks in order to reduce symptoms. Um, Side effects of the vaccines include mild fever tiredness swollen glands as well as redness and itching at the inoculation site and there are obviously a limited number of vaccines this is problematic um and so it is likely that um you may find it difficult to get vaccinated um It is important to note that you can um, catch this from holding hands or cuddling. Um, If if you come into close contact with the scabs, not just the blisters, um, the coughs and sneezes of a person, if they're close to you, when they have this are also part of uh, the way that it's transmitted. Um, There's still a small number of people in the UK compared to um, the United States. Um, but more people are being diagnosed Um, if you've not been in close contact with somebody who has the symptoms or travel to west or central africa in the uk the nhs is saying it's less likely at the moment the most current um symptoms are coming through people who are uh, men who who present as men who are gay, bisexual, or having sex with other men, and this is about more skin-to-skin contact again. This is not because of any particular type of sexual activity, but because of skin-to-skin contact in these communities, in social situations as well. Um, it's been pointed out that, you know, men take their shirts off in the summer, um, and so You have more of a chance of being in contact with a man's skin who hugs you in the summer than a woman's skin because she will still have a shirt on. So anybody identifying as female is more likely to keep a shirt on and therefore less likely to transmit. Shivering and chills and swollen glands are also symptoms, Um, backache. The rash is expected one to five days after the first symptoms. And for many people, the rash begins on the face. And sometimes it looks like chicken pox, so people believe that it's chicken pox. It's not. At the moment in the UK, you call a sexual health clinic if... You are showing symptoms unless it's a child who would be calling the GP. You would be calling the GP. Right now, um, treatment is not widespread in the UK unless... Um, your symptoms are more severe. And and so any of the groups mentioned earlier, older people, young children, and people who are immunosuppressed or who are taking a medication that causes their immune system to be suppressed, um, and you're likely to be asked to isolate it at home. In the UK... Some healthcare workers, some men who are gay, bisexual or have sex with other men and people who have been in close contact with someone who has monkeypox are being offered smallpox vaccines. Um, one dose is usually offered to help reduce the severity of the symptoms and prevent future infections. You could be offered a second dose. If you're at risk, it's likely your local NHS services will contact you and offer you a vaccine. But you can also check your local sexual health advice website for more information on getting a vaccine or accessing a vaccine. So that concludes the P is Pox part of the show I know it's kind of serious and and a lot of times people don't enjoy shows that um, are um, primarily around issues that are to to do with disease um, and, um, and, and ill health, including mental ill health. But it's really important that you get some decent information and so that you can risk assess properly and protect yourself and protect those around you. On to the next P. So I was, um, having a look at, um, some of the things that are in the news at the moment. Um, and there was a story in the news, um, and the P is players, and it was about what kind of musicians are the best in bed. And I thought that this was amusing, so I figured I would tell all of you about it. Um, the, musicians voted the best in bed wait for it there's a drum roll coming somewhere trombonists trombonists as a result of their breath control the way they can use their mouth their lips their tongue so i'm assuming that they're talking about them being phenomenal for oral sex so if you know a trombonist, you might want to check this out. Um, and moving on from that, there have been um, a number of stories on polygamy um, and polyamory in the news again recently. Um, and so we're going to talk a bit about um, polygamy and a bit about polyamory. Um, and now, you know, I've talked about polyamory a ton um it's a it's a topic i really enjoy talking about polyamory is one form of consensual non-monogamy um as is polygamy and some people will um recoil on hearing that um but it is possible to be polygamous consensually not all polygamous marriages are um non-consensual or forced there are quite a few cultures in the world where polygamous marriage is um acceptable and um while not necessarily the norm is quite common so polygamous marriage is when you have um, more than one spouse um and um the most common form worldwide is um a man having male presenting person having more than one spouse and more than one female presenting spouse. Um, So the most common form is actually quite heteronormative. But there are um, plenty of places where um, it tends to be a female presenting partner with multiple male presenting partners. Um, it is interesting to note that polygamy where there are partners of different genders is not as common and tends to be seen as polyamory. Polyamory is when people have consensual multiple relationships at the same time. The relationships can take a variety of forms, but the crucial part in polyamory as opposed to um, some forms of consensual non-monogamy is that these relationships have a romantic or and or emotional component. so um there they aren't simply multiple sexual relationships or multiple sexual relationships with one um romantic relationship or one deep emotional relationship i've been asked a lot recently if polyamory is on the rise i think that um and it, it I'll say this, that it's hard to know. And it's hard to know because research with people about their relationship choices and their sexual choices has been notoriously difficult. I mean, it's gotten better over the years as people have become more comfortable answering surveys and talking about the way they live their lives. But um, if your choice, your lifestyle choice, is different from the norm in your community, you are less likely to want to take part in scientific research and to be willing to answer lots of questions about your um, relationship and sexual choices if you know that they are um, outside the norm and particularly if you know that there are significant feelings about people who have relationships outside the norm. So, um, that is why, uh, it's hard to really know whether this is on the increase or it is simply that it's become more accepted in, in some places and therefore more talked about, therefore people are more willing to admit that this is the way that they are living their lives. Um, in many countries, um, commitments recognized by the state more than one commitment recognized by the state is still not legal so whereas I was saying polygamy in polygamy there are quite a number of countries where it is recognized um There are still many where it is not, um, and that includes um, the United Kingdom and the United States and Canada. And actually, though, in the United Kingdom, it's interesting. If you have um, emigrated from a country that allows plural marriage as legal and and you are already in a plural marriage, your marriages will be recognized and legal because they already exist. But if you live in the United Kingdom and you want to marry two people, for example, you cannot do that legally. You can have other forms of ceremony, but you cannot legally marry. So another question that I keep being asked is what's the appeal? Why? And I get to ask this a lot, like why? Why complicate your life? And certainly for polyamory, a a wide number of appeal factors are listed. Um, The one that's actually listed most often is not the one you might think. The one that's listed most often is having people in your life who are trusted with whom you are emotionally intimate, who have your back, who are there to celebrate the wonderful times and to cheer you on and also help out, support you, and hold you during the difficult times, who become your chosen family. Many people discuss it as chosen family. And that's actually the biggest positive that I hear the most often. The next one is, um, takes two, there's two parts to it. Um, to get more of your needs met, and that isn't just sexual needs, that's all sorts of needs your emotional needs, your sexual needs, uh, your recreational needs right? Sometimes your financial needs, right? So you get more of your needs met if, you're, if you have more people who are committed to you in relationship with you and you're in relationship with them. And also the flip side of that is to spread out the burden on one individual so that you do not feel responsible for all of a partner's needs, you do not feel that that you have to um, meet every single one of a partner's needs. And that's actually quite a heavy burden and a lot of people don't often don't realize it. Um, I've talked about this before um, and I'm going to talk about a stereotype and I uh, apologize in advance. Um, people who are raised um, female are more encouraged um, to create, Uh, non-sexual friendships um with all sorts of people and they're encouraged greatly encouraged to create friendships with other people raised as women um now they're also encouraged to compete in a way that's really unhealthy But they are encouraged to make friendships, emotional friendships, friendships in which they do talk about their feelings, their thoughts, their worries, their problems, their issues. Still, unfortunately, people who are raised as male are not encouraged to do this still in large swaths of the population. And as a result often don't have a lot of emotionally intimate friendships whereas people raised female are more likely to have emotionally intimate friendships so if you are in a partnership with somebody who was raised male um the old stereotype that you tell your wife your girlfriend your person all your problems and you rely on them for all of your emotional support exists still quite frequently and that's really intense and difficult for a lot of people to deal with it's a it's a large burden to be the only person or one of the only people that um holds the emotions of another person so um in polyamory that gives you um More repositories, more places to take your feelings and your thoughts. And so that is seen as a huge positive on both sides. You get more of your needs met and you reduce the burden on just one person. Uh, The second biggest plus is more and varied sex. More sex, but not all the time. I mean, that's a myth. People think that, um, that people who are polyamorous have sex all the time all day, every day. That's not true. Um, There are plenty of times where people who are polyamorous who want to have sex are having no sex because it's just not working with their partners at that moment. So, there's that. However, there are more opportunities for sex if you have more than one partner and there are more opportunities for varied sex if you have more than one partner. And so that's true and that's certainly one of the pluses that's listed I'm asked frequently, "What are the biggest downsides?" These relationships are complicated. They're complicated emotionally because you're you're dealing with a number of different people's needs. Um, they're complicated from a scheduling point of view. I mean, there's lots of jokes about Google Calendar, but in essence, that isn't really a joke because it is. Um, it can be very difficult to schedule good time with more than one person sometimes um and the more people the harder the scheduling um so that's definitely an issue um and so while people aren't limited in the love that they have for other people um you know you can love an infinite number of people even to the same depth you only have a finite amount of energy and time. And so those are the two factors that limit the number of relationships you can have. And that also impact when, when life is difficult um, and when things are difficult. That um, also can cause issues um, in non-monogamous relationships and particularly in polyamorous relationships in managing polyamorous relationships because um, time and energy can become scarce all of a sudden so that that can become difficult um, and um, being able to keep up with the with your own emotional work and personal work is oft, also often listed as a difficult one. Um, you need to be on top of your own stuff so that um, you guys can work together to create relationships that are, uh, healthy and beneficial to everybody involved. So that is the other complication that makes this for some people a choice that, that, that um, would not be great for them. Um, if you don't have good skills, you should set out to learn good skills if you want to live like this, because good emotional skills, good communication skills, good negotiating skills are all essential if you're going to do this successfully over any period of time. With polygamy, um, some of the same pros are listed. Um, The sharing, uh, because in in polygamous families, uh, people often um, live in close proximity or or in the same house. They don't always live in the same house, but in close proximity. You know, additional people to help out with the household tasks, um, additional financial contributions, additional emotional support, um, not having to meet a person's needs all by yourself or all the positives that are listed. Um, help with the raising of children, which you sometimes find in poly- polyamorous families and other times don't, but you usually do find in, in polygamous families. Um, so those are all the positives. The negatives, um, again, you know, people complain about not getting enough time and attention. Um, People complain about the complexity of having to negotiate um, these emotional relationships. And when you're talking about one uh, person, one husband, multiple wives or one wife, multiple husbands, you know, the person who's the one person will talk about the pressure on them in order to deal with... um, the the many because it's the one to the many, which in polyamory is not the case because it can be the many to the many. Not always though. I wanted to briefly talk about um polymono relationships um or non monogamous monogamous relationships. They're a special subset of polyamorous relationships and there are quite a few of them out there and it is So, um, an area that can be quite difficult, um, and it's got its own challenges. There are often um, I get calls about this. I wrote an article, a blog um, post on this in 2017, and another one shortly thereafter about whether or not it's possible to manage a relationship if you're monogamous and your partner is non-monogamous or polyamorous. And what I said was, um, yes, it is, but it's difficult, right? And and as a result, I still get lots of referrals because of that article. Um, because I um, work with people where that is an issue um, regularly, and and have done for many years. So I've a, I've got a sort of specialty in dealing with that area. Um, it's complicated because. Um, of the basic tenets of monogamy and where that difficult different differs from the tenets of non-monogamy so people who are um monogamous believe that it is one partner only and so um they tend to perceive a non-monogamous partner as somebody who's saying they're not good enough or they're not enough by themselves or that there's something wrong with them. And they tend to take it to heart and believe that there's something that they need to be doing or being in order for their partner to give up the running around or dating or however they perceive it and just be with them. That if, if only they had the right formula, the person would just be with them. That's one way that they interpret it. And so that's quite painful. Um, they experience more jealousy as a result. So that's quite painful. But another way that they might interpret it is that their partner is is callous, is uncaring, is amoral, um, is uh, somebody who wants their cake and eat it too. They can uh, interpret it as cheating um, when it is not, when it's consensual. You know, cheating occurs when it's non-consensual. Um, and the thing that is the most painful in cheating is the betrayal, that somebody is doing something Um behind your back that they have broken an agreement that you have so that's far worse than any of the activity that people get up to so they tend to perceive this as a betrayal Um, and so that's quite difficult to help somebody work through those feelings so that they can decide whether it is possible for them to tolerate their partner living in a way that's different to them It is possible and it does happen. And I certainly work with people where both parties learn to make the adjustments necessary so that they can live with their chosen relationship style and be in relationship with each other. Um, from the point of view of the non-monogamous person, they can find it very difficult Um, how slow things need to go in order to create a good foundation that allows their partner to be able to not only accept what they're doing, but feel comfortable with what they're doing on some level so that um, this isn't a constant source of friction. Um, uh, The negotiation process they can find very difficult and very tedious. And sometimes um, both parties get stuck in the negotiation process because they dig their heels in Um, it. It's something that needs to be done carefully and people need to realize they're going to be making compromises in order to live like this. And the communication needs to increase a vast amount. And so that's often an issue as well. Um, making sure that they have the skills so that communication is positive so that they ha- are able to resolve conflicts and negotiate is also um, an area of issue. Now, all of these can be issues in monogamous relationships and all of them can be issues in purely non-monogamous relationships as well. But when you have a relationship where one person is non-monogamous and the other is monogamous, the thing that makes it more difficult is you've got people with two different sets of values and um, to try and get them to be in alignment with each other is, is quite difficult. And alignment is essential for, for, for successful relationships. So that's an area that um, takes time. Um, I'm at present working on a book about just this topic. Um, it's a practical book that um, has um, a lot of examples of helping people to navigate their way through um, a poly-mono relationship or a non-monogamous monogamous relationship. Um, I advise people that it's useful to work with a coach who um, understands that there are a wide variety of relationship styles and doesn't have um, particular bias about people who live in a wide variety of relationship styles. But particularly somebody that understands um, that Sometimes relationships are between people who are having mixed relationship styles because there are some people who are non-monogamy friendly who find, who will say flat out to a person, oh, if you're monogamous and they are polyamorous, it's not going to work. And so they will come with that bias to the work and, and then coaching is less likely to be successful and therapy is less likely to be successful. So you actually need to make sure that, that there's not a bias against this type of combination if you're choosing, when you're choosing somebody to work with and you need to ask the question directly. Um, For those of you who um, find it uncomfortable to interview therapists, coaches, um, counselors, Uh, psychologists or who don't know what kinds of questions to ask I do actually have um, two um, sets of questions to consider um, and things that you can ask a prospective therapist coach counselor Um, uh, one set is um, a a more general set and uh, one set is for people who are um, looking for somebody who has experience with um, alternative um, stuff or gender, sex, and relationship diversity. So people who have experience with LGBTQIA, people who have experience with um, non-monogamy in all its forms, people who have experience with the... um, whole um, gender and sexuality spectrum people who have experience with kink and bdsm and authority transfer based relationships and if you are interested in um, that form or one of those forms you can get them from me uh, by as a thank you for leaving a review for this podcast on Uh, Apple Podcasts on Spotify um, wherever it is that you get your podcasts if you leave me a review um, I will happily send you out one of these as a thank you Um, if you email me because just leaving me a review, I may not have your details, so I won't be able to send it. So you'll need to email me so that I can send this out. And that's loribeth at drloribethbisbee.com. If you are interested in um, keeping up with what I'm doing, seeing the latest things that I produce in terms of media and free content, um, working with me now or in the future, the easiest way to keep up with all of that is to... Head over to my website and fill in the form to be uh, part of my email list and uh, you will get information on a regular basis that tells you what's going on, what I am doing and what you can expect me to be doing. You'll also get some special offers um, that come out only via that email list and um, that includes things like... um, free 30-minute consultations, which at the moment you can only get when um, as a special gift or a reward for doing something or because you're on the list and I'm offering a certain number of them at a particular time. Um, So it's worth your while, if you think at some point you might like a consultation, to um, join the list because that's one way Uh, of getting one of the um, periodic free consultations that I I will offer. Um, They're offered to my list before anybody else. Um, I also run a monthly raffle for people who write reviews. So if you write a review after hearing this show and send me your email, you will get whichever one of the um, therapist interview lists. I'll send that to you. Every person who writes a review will get that. If you write a review after this show, um, you will be put into a raffle for the month, um, and there are two uh, 20-minute free consultations available for people who write reviews of the show. Now, some, on some shows, on some episodes, I offer a consultation... Straight away without a raffle. So, you know, um, if you are um, interested in that, you probably should subscribe because it's different every week. Um, Reviews are really helpful, and I find that frequently people don't write reviews, particularly for shows that have to do with sex. They find it uncomfortable or difficult, um, but you can do it anonymously, and they're really appreciated. I also appreciate um, requests for topics, requests for guests and requests um, for um, responses to questions. Um, I won't guarantee that I will answer your questions in a show. I collect all the questions I get, and I answer a handful of them um, in my free content uh, each month. If you have a question, and you want an individual answer to your individual situation, uh, the easiest way to do that is to head on over to my website, to the shop, and there are two products you can purchase. One is an email response to a question. You purchase that, you email me your question, and I will email you a personalized response. The other is a video response to your question. Again, you purchase that, you email me, the question and i will make a video with a response to your individual situation recognizing of course that when i can only work with the information that i have and some questions actually require a lot more information than than i could give in a video response however it is a great way to get a personalized response for a lot of different issues sometimes you just have a one off question you want answered and you want it answered for your particular situation not in general as 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 all of us do when we do free content for the most part. So that's the easiest way. Also, if you have one issue that you want to deal with and just one issue and you want to dig down into it, or one pressing issue and you'd like to dig down into it, a two-hour breakthrough laser session can be a great idea. In a two-hour breakthrough laser session, we spend the time focused on that issue and we work to gain some sort of clarity and resolution to that issue. It's great for when you've got a decision that you need to make coming up, for when you have, um, you're at a crossroads, for when you have one particular issue that's really been driving you nuts. It's not great for everything. There are lots of things that require deeper work or longer term work. Um, But even if you start with a laser session, it gives you the opportunity to um, gain clarity as to what the issue really is, if it's a deeper issue, before um, diving in to a package of coaching or therapy. I'll be back next week when the letter is Q. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to The A to Z of Sex or The A to Z of Sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. DrLaurieBethBisby on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLaurieBethBisby.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge Gives You Power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments, or questions, do email at loribeth at drloribethbisbee.com And I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.